I felt, felt in preparation for this weekend just stirred about um, Isaiah 61. So if you have your Bibles, you might like to turn to it. It'll come up on the screen behind me as well. I'm reading from the ESV. <clears throat> and uh, these are familiar words, but I'd love them to really kind of ring true with us today. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. I'm, I'm appreciate the fact that you've done a series on Isaiah, the preachings of Isaiah recently, and I know Dan spoke on this on Easter Sunday. I went and had a listen to it, and because uh, oh no, I'm going to repeat everything. But actually, maybe there's some things here that God wants to speak to you as a church community. I, f- I feel there are some things in this passage that are crucial for King's Church. And of course, King's Church is made up of lots of, inter- of, lots of uh, individuals, and so it's applicable to you as an individual, but to us as a church community here in Edinburgh as well. I've entitled this, this word, Anointed for Action, because you would have heard this word anointed coming through this passage. And I'm sure that many of you know this, but this was the very passage of Scripture that was actually handed to Jesus, and he read out, Uh, And you can read about this in Luke chapter 4, and it's right at the beginning of his ministry. And so he reads this scripture, Isaiah 61, and it says in verse 20, And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. I think that's a very unusual uh, experience for most preachers. Um, Some of the eyes are fixed, but on this occasion, every eye was fixed. Uh, upon Jesus, and he began, began to say to them, today this, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And that was an unusual moment on a Saturday morning in the synagogue, because most people would read the scriptures like we've done, and very rarely, if ever, would anyone say what Jesus said is, and by the way, this scripture we just read is all about me. And if you read on into the chapter, they weren't too pleased. As he began to, they began to, it dawned on them that this this is Joseph's son, the carpenter's son, who's claiming to be the one whom the Lord has anointed, the Messiah, to do all these things. There are two things I think we should draw out right from the beginning, therefore, about this. First of all, Note this, that from this moment on, from Luke chapter 4 onwards, Jesus actually did everything that's mentioned in Isaiah 61. He did preach good news to the poor and heal the sick, and he did set the captives free, and and those who were mourning in Zion were comforted, and everything you've just read 
were fulfilled through him. So it's kind of like, well, it was one thing to say today, it's all fulfilled for me. But honestly, from this moment on, the anointing of Jesus was, on Jesus was so great that he did all of those things. So it's true. This is today fulfilled in your hearing. And the anointing on Jesus gave him the capacity and the power to do the things that God had called him to do. The second thing we should note from this uh, is this, that he needed to be anointed by the Spirit. And I think as Christians, sometimes we, we don't know whether we're comfortable with this thought or whether we even think about it very much, but you have to understand that for 30 years, Jesus had been alive on this planet and had done nothing of Isaiah 61 because he chose to only do these things by submitting himself to the person of the Holy Spirit. There's been no ministry until now. He's not healed anybody. He's not cast any demons out because until this moment, the Spirit of God has not yet come upon him. Luke chapter 3, interestingly enough, declares what happens when Jesus is baptized. Verse 22, and the Holy Spirit descended. Other passages have got, other translations have got descended and remained on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice from heaven said this is my son in whom I'm well pleased so the spirit of God comes upon Jesus at the moment that he's baptized in water it's a coming upon to anoint Jesus the the spirit of the Lord is upon me he has anointed me to do these things and then we read on in Luke chapter 4 verse 1 And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. We start getting all this terminology of not just Jesus alone, but being filled and led by the Spirit. And he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding areas throughout the surrounding region. So here we have the Son of God, fully God and fully man, strangely dependent upon the person of the Holy Spirit. Don't you think, you're supposed to think that's a bit strange. You're supposed to think like I've often thought, well, of course Jesus did all miracles, he was God. So he had, he had a, such a head start. But you have to understand that in the Trinity, there's this amazing mystery of the way there's such harmony between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Jesus is basically saying, I'm not going to do these things without choosing to be dependent upon the Spirit. There's another passage, you know this, sometimes Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. And the Holy Spirit, when he comes, I only live to glorify the Son. And so you've got this wonderful synergy between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Of course, Jesus was fully God and was fully man. And some of you theologians here are already thinking, but the angel said to Mary that the Holy Spirit would come upon you. And Jesus was born, as it were, the incarnation with the Spirit. That's true. But Jesus, fully God, chose to submit his life to the person of the Spirit so that then he would be anointed to do these things. This is really good news for you. (laughs) Honestly, it is. I'm not joking. 
It's really, because if, if, if Jesus could just do miracles because he was God and the end of it, that would be it. But if the same spirit that anointed Jesus was upon you and me and upon his church today in 2019 in Edinburgh, then we get to do the same things that Jesus did. Do you understand that? This is why it's really, really good news. Jesus is modeling something that's normal Christianity. He's saying, when the spirit of the Lord comes upon me, I do these things. And of course, if the same spirit comes upon you, then the same way I am dependent upon the spirit is the same way you will be and you'll do these things as well. I find this such good news if we're anointed by the Spirit. So Jesus says to his disciples after teaching them about the Holy Spirit, he says this, and you can read it in John 16 verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is for your advantage, for your good. Other translation says it is better for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I do go away, I will send him to you. And the disciples must have thought, I can't think of anything worse than you leaving us. Every morning we wake up, it's kind of like the crowds are gathering and the teaching is amazing. And is this going to be a we get to heal one person day, or is this going to be a, we get to heal everybody in the room day? They just didn't know, but it was so exciting having Jesus with them. We get to do the stuff because Jesus is with us. And he says, I'm going away. They couldn't have thought of anything more awful and disastrous. But what they didn't understand was it was to their advantage because if Jesus went away, then the same spirit upon him in bodily form would then be poured out upon them and it would be like having Jesus in them and with them for the rest of their lives. Why was it better for him to go to be with the Father? Because Jesus would die on the cross, be raised from the dead, be ascended on high and sat down at the right hand of the Father and when all of that had taken place, he would then pour out the Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon ordinary people like you and me. And the same things that Jesus did because Isaiah 61 says, the Lord has anointed me. They for the first time in their lives knew that they were anointed in the same power of Jesus to go and to preach good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted and to set the captives free. And the same spirit that was poured out on the day, I'm really excited about this, I hope you are. And this, I've just preached this to myself. The same spirit that was upon Jesus on the day of Pentecost was poured out upon his church. And from that day forth, right up to today, the same Holy Spirit is poured out upon us as well. So we get to say today, the spirit of the sovereign Lord has anointed us. See, the reason I'm taking my time on this is there's a whole load of list of things here that in a moment we're going to trigger that we are going to do. But we can't do them without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. God wants Kings Edinburgh to do some amazing things in this city. Here's the deal. You can't do them. But you can do them if the same spirit that anointed Jesus is now upon us. I mean, it's thrilling that we can say today the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon us. 
to preach good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free. Such good news. Hallelujah. It's not down to me. It's, the future is not about me trying hard and trying to be the best kind of Christian that I can be or working harder. My busyness will do it. My action will do it. Actually, at the end of the day, it's because the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me to do these things. It's all about him. It's not about you. It's all about the anointing rather than how you're doing at the moment as a Christian. Your future does not depend on you trying hard, but on you being anointed by the Spirit. Day after day after day. Why are there so many references in the Bible to being filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit and living by the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit and being being filled with the Spirit? <laughs> it's so that we are constantly being anointed. This is just not for Sunday mornings. This is for seven days a week, 24 hours. That there's the promise of the Spirit being upon us. Here's some good news. The future of King's Church is not dependent on your elders. That's good news, just in case you didn't know. <clears throat> it's not them doing well and rushing around in circles trying to keep everybody happy. It's to do with the anointing. The future of King's Church is to do with the anointing of the Spirit. Elders come and go, people come and go. The Holy Spirit has come to stay, to remain. You know, in the old covenant, the Spirit of God would come upon people. They would do certain extraordinary tasks and then he would withdraw and the anointing would go. In the new covenant, two things are different. One is when the Holy Spirit comes, he stays. And so there's always this available to him, for him. And the second thing that's different is, is, is community, is corporality. In other words, this is not about certain individuals being anointed. It's about the body. So what does it say on the day of Pentecost? It says the Spirit is poured out upon all flesh, everybody. Sons and daughters, everybody, men and women, everybody has the anointing of the Spirit. And I think we still fall into the trap in Christianity today of thinking there's one or two really anointed people. And I mean, they're really, really anointed people. And the rest of us are kind of, well, you know, is there three leagues of football in Scotland? Wherever it is, it's the bottom one. We're kind of just, we're just the people watching. No, no, no. The Spirit is upon all flesh. He's upon all of us. Please don't fall into the trap of thinking she has a real anointing in healing. You do too. The same spirit that's working in that person is working in you. I'm trying to, I really would love us today to catch, if we can't catch this, the possibility that God might use you not because of who you are, but because of the anointing and the promise of the spirit. See, I think the problem is some of us already are disqualifying ourselves. Some of us are looking at Isaiah 61 and going, I could never do that. No, you're absolutely right, you can't. Some, some of us are actually saying today, well, I've got enough issues of my own to deal with, let alone going healing the brokenhearted. Some of us are disqualifying ourselves because of our lack of faith or because of our ordinariness, or because of our weakness. Let just be, remind you once again of that well-known passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says there in verse 26, Consider your calling, 
Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not. Why did he do this? Because it's not about the quality of the person. It's about the power of the anointing of the Spirit upon the person. So if you're disqualifying yourself because you're weak, you haven't realized that you totally qualify. If you say, I'm weak, great, another one. The Spirit of God can come upon weak people. Because if it wasn't, if it's about us and how good we are, we just boast. Look at me, look what I can do. I pray for a person the other day and they were healed. You never heal anybody. Nobody can heal anybody, only Jesus. And the anointing of the Spirit that is upon Jesus and in the name of Jesus, the sick can be healed. When we're anointed by the Spirit, it makes all the difference. So let's get back to this passage in Isaiah 61. Because the anointing of the Spirit essentially is anointing us for action. So what does it say in Isaiah 61 that you and I will do when the Spirit is upon us? Please don't think this is for the person next to you, behind you, or in front of you. This is directly for you as an individual. And it's certainly true for us as a corporate church together. What are the things that are promised that we will do? Number one. We are going to bring good news to the poor. What's the good news that we've got to bring to the poor? Of course, it's the gospel. It's a message of transformation. It's a message that declares that you don't have to stay the same anymore. Now, theologians immediately go into conversations about, well, who are the poor? And you can read all kinds of interpretations of who the poor, the poor in spirit, etc., etc., I absolutely believe Jesus means those who are marginalized. And How interesting, when the spirit of the sovereign Lord came upon Jesus, he went particularly to the poor, to the outcast, to the marginalized in society. I, 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 would, I like this phrase, to the forgotten. Because all the religious people, they kind of had it all the right. He said, I haven't come to you, I've come to them. And I think it literally, I've, I've gone all around the houses, and I think it really means the poor. Isn't that astounding? You can argue around it, etc., but the gospel is especially good news to the poor, to the forgotten, to the marginalized, to those who are without. And what this passage says, there is an anointing upon a local church that has a heart to reach the poor. So I'm going to just, just mention this labor this a little bit, we need to understand that God's heart for the poor is through the anointing of the Spirit, not just about doing good deeds. Some of us think, oh goody goody, we're going to teach about, about good news to the poor, therefore if we do some good deeds, you've got to understand there's an anointing upon the Spirit, a supernatural anointing that comes upon a company of people who have a heart for the poor. It's like, it's not our efforts that do it. And our efforts will be tangible. There'll be food banks, there'll be debt counselling, there'll be all kinds of things where people come alongside the poor to literally help them. But in reality, it's because of the anointing that was upon Jesus that's now upon us. I think evangelicals think, well, we need to make sure the gospel and we do some social action. Listen, this heart for the poor is not something tacked on to King's Church where we know there are, thank goodness, there are one or two enthusiasts that have got a real heart for the poor, and the rest of us will just go on with our lives. 
This has got to be up front and central. This needs to be at the very heart of a church community that's anointed by the Spirit. Why is this such good news for the poor? It's hope to the hopeless. And I'm not sure that I'm going to get into trouble here. I am not sure that the purposes of God was ever that the state should be responsible for dealing with the issues of the poor. If you're living in a, a country with their Christian ethics, then that might be well the case. But brothers and sisters, we particularly should be at the forefront of caring and bringing good news to the poor. I, I don't know if it's... While, while certain stratas of society are kind of crumbling and not able to keep up, isn't it interesting we're living in a day where the evangelical church is right now coming to the forefront, recognised increasingly by governments of playing a major part. Why? Well, we've just got a volunteer force all ready to go. Seriously. It's kind of like maybe this has got something to do with the will of God. People will come to Jesus because of the anointing upon the local church to bring and preach good news to the poor, which is proclaimed by our voice. We do this because of the love of God and he changed me, therefore he can change you. We do it through our deeds and outworking of the love and mercy of God. Where does the time go when you're having fun? Number two. The spirit of the Lord is upon us to bind up the brokenhearted. <clears throat> Did you know there's an anointing upon this church and many individuals in this room today to bring healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing, mental healing, mental health, physical health. The things that Jesus did was that he moved in signs and wonders and miracles. He healed the sick. We look at passages like in Acts chapter 5, which I preached here once sometime last year, about how signs and wonders were normal Christianity in the early church. Then they need to be normal Christianity with us today. Nothing's changed. It's the same anointing, the same Holy Spirit. Have we got broken-hearted people around us? I'm asking you the question. Have we? I mean... Brothers and sisters, there are, you're being very kind and not saying much to me this morning, but the, the whole of this city is full of, I'm not exaggerating, of thousands of people who are brokenhearted and don't know what to do. Full of anxiety, rising tides of depression, overwhelmed with life, despairing of life. It's all around us. We have an interesting experience in our church back in London that uh, we have a drama college which is in the same road as our building and this drama college has got a thousand folks doing drama, guys and girls and they have had a poise towards us as a church of total animosity for years. You will not come on this campus, you will not evangelise, we don't want anything to do with you and it wouldn't, if, if you're near a drama college you know that they're not exactly into the same Christian ethics that you are into as a community, okay? need I say any more? But we've just loved them, and we've served them, and we've done whatever we can. We've, we've tried to have kindness upon kindness towards them. And eventually, one or two people at the dead of night got onto campus. No, it's not one or two people actually, actually snuck in and got in there, and they kind of liked us, and they liked what we're doing. And then several of the folks in the college with massive, massive emotional and mental health 
brokenhearted issues, became Christians. And the people who the powers that be noticed that, oh, this is good news. These people are changing. So from not allowed on the campus, not only are we now allowed on the campus, but our student worker has just been appointed as their chaplain on campus. And they said to her, we've, we've decided to make you our chaplain. Would that be okay? She said, that's fine. She said, and then they said, but we haven't got enough money to build you a chapel. What? <laughs> it's a strange way that people think. And as quick off the back, without even thinking, she says, that's absolutely fine. I've got my chapel. It's called Costas. And I will sit and we'll reserve a seat, seriously, a table, and people can come and sit down with me. And I can hear all their problems and difficulties as a chaplain would, and I can introduce them to Jesus, etc. So next Sunday evening, we are having a meeting. We have a meeting every Sunday night at 6 o'clock, which many of these students are now coming to. And at the end, we have an open mic session, and this is a tri-church Sunday. And it's advertised by the Drama College as being part of the curriculum this week to end up at New Community Church on Sunday evening. Folks, we're called to bind up the brokenhearted. We've got good news. In a world that's stumbling around and doesn't know what to do, this is not a day for us to be in despair and overwhelmed by the statistics of depression and difficulty and mental health. It's on our TVs every day at the moment. This is not a time for us to be despaired. It's a time to know this. The anointing of the Spirit is upon us to heal the brokenhearted. Number three, to proclaim liberty and freedom to the captives. We're surrounded by people that are not only brokenhearted, but are bound into all kinds of addictions and fears and traumas. And, and, and therefore, the addictions often come from their, the fact of the mess of their backgrounds and they've been overwhelmed. There is an anointing that brings authority to speak whatever binds people in the name of Jesus. There is victory for people who are bound. There is victory for people who are imprisoned within their own habits and addictions and they don't know how to get out. Many churches that I know are now running Freed for Purpose or Freedom in Christ courses and are just seeing the bound, the addicted. So there's prayer, there's counsel, there's more prayer, there's understanding, there's love, there's concern, there's compassion to see people on this journey to come out. But it's not our good wisdom and ideas and theories. It has to come from the anointing of the Spirit to set the captives free. Well-known passage, John chapter 8, verse 36. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. I really loved this verse because if it hadn't said indeed, I don't think many of us would notice. Just supposing it said, so if the sun sets you free, you'll be free. I think I'd go on to the next verse. But this verse is kind of like saying, if the sun sets you free, you are really, really, really free. It's kind of trying to catch our attention as I just did that moment, just then, to, to say that we really are free. There's a wonderful freedom that comes that's internal. And so you can be in prison, and you can go, I just heard this just the other day, you can go to Alpha in prison, and you can get saved. And because you've done some wrong things, they put you back into your prison cell. But you, at that moment, are freer, 
than all the people walking out in freedom outside the prison walls. Because the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. The Apostle Paul wrote most of his letters from where? Prison. He was not bound by his captivity because he had an inner freedom in Christ. I'm thrilled as I keep on hearing more and more in these last few months, right across the new ground family of churches, just us, some amazing stories of people being wonderfully delivered from all kinds of addictions. It's amazing. Just every week, I just keep hearing all, you just go travel around. This person, that is just is remarkable. This is true, folks. This is happening. God wants to do it more and more in Edinburgh. Here we are. What's, what point am I up to? Three, okay. Three things coming number three. It's wonderful to know that we are here to proclaim liberty and favor. Well, you've got me confused now. Let's go to the next point. Number four. We've got three things to proclaim the Lord's favor, the vengeance of our God, and comfort those who mourn, who are needing our comfort. What does it mean to proclaim the Lord's favor? It means the grace and mercy of God. This is our gospel. Don't wait to sort up your life and then come to Jesus. Don't sort out the mess first. But our gospel is, come to Jesus and he will then sort out the mess. Do you know what that means? Church should be really messy. Because it's full of people who are still messed up. But they're coming to Jesus. And they're coming to know him more and more. And we have the anointing of the Spirit upon us to proclaim the Lord's favor. There is a world in which we live that desperately needs the grace of God. And God's grace is with us and upon us for us to declare. And then it says the vengeance of our God, which a lot of preachers will avoid. Oh, good. This is where we come to you know, really sort out the unbelievers. I absolutely don't believe it means that at all. This is not the wrath of God or the judgment of God. The wrath of God was dealt with at the cross through Jesus dying on our behalf. The judgment of God is going to come at the end of time. Jesus said, I came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. We're in this bit in the middle where our message is one of salvation and not condemnation. So, so what does the vengeance of our God mean? I believe it means justice. That in this world in which we live, there's such injustice and people are suffering. Do you know there's an, there is an anointing of the Spirit upon God's church to speak words of justice for those who are suffering injustice? And then, of course, to comfort all who mourn. People are facing death whether they like it or not. People are mourning all around us. People don't, we live in a strange world when it comes to death. It's just been announced two weeks ago that there are now no hymns sung at, hymn, sung at funerals in the top ten of songs that are chosen. It's all I did it my way. And it's tragic, but it reflects a society that doesn't understand what death is all about. There is an anointing upon the church. We should talk about death a lot because we know what it's all about and what life after death is all about. And the tremendous comfort that can come when we're facing death. The final thing from this passage, Isaiah 61, is this. To exchange, and I'll summarize it really quickly, beauty for ashes, joy for sorrow, praise for heaviness. Lots of other words used there. 
But there is an anointing upon us to bring beauty instead of ashes. What does that mean? Life instead of death. Joy instead of sorrow. Real joy. Joy in sorrow. (laughs) The anointing upon us is that we can experience joy even in the midst of sorrowful times, in circumstances, not outside of them. The Bible says there may be pain in the night, but joy always comes in the morning. See, we have a joy that's not temporal. Most people in Edinburgh are trying to get joyful, and it's all it's sad because it's, it's all temporary. And that's why you keep going back to do things to give you joy. How amazing to meet a crowd of people who have joy all the time in circumstances and don't have to do things in order to get it because it comes from the anointing of the Spirit upon us. What does it mean to be those who bring joy instead of sorrow? It's that we declare this joy to people around us. We have a joy that is eternal rather than temporal. Just think for a moment of of the most joyful thing that's ever happened in your life outside of Jesus. No cheating. Just think about what it is, and I guarantee it'll be temporal. It's not as wonderful as eternal joy. It's not, it, everything's dependent on something. I love weddings. We've had a couple of our closest friends married last year, absolutely amazing. And the party and the wedding, and it's glorifying to God, and all the friends were there, and it's fantastic. But you always know there's that moment when the bride and groom have gone, and the party's still sort of trying to carry on. And then there's that moment of the sound of And what does that tell me? It means whatever you've just had is now finished. Please would you leave the building. Or when you're celebrating here in Edinburgh more than anyone in the world. New Year's Eve. There just comes that moment where the, the, the bottles have to be swept away. And the fireworks are over and oh dear, that was joyful for a moment. I think for me one of the most joyful Moments in my life, without doubt, it's been the birth of my four children and just standing there holding. I remember holding my first daughter and looking and being flooded with just overwhelming joy. And then something begins to happen. (laughs) My baby changes and grows up and messes and makes noise and wakes you up in the night. And it's kind of like, oh, that was joy for a moment. It's not all joy, folks, for the rest of your life. One day they even leave you. It's kind of like, actually, that is quite a joyful moment when they actually... (laughs) Sorry, that rather diffused my point. This exchange for, uh, for, for, for joy and sorrow is real. It's lasting. It's eternal. Praise for heaviness. There are so many people that are weighed down by the heaviness of life. A faint spirit. We have the anointing that can bring a message that can lift the heaviness of people's lives. I just very quickly will say one more thing. And then I'd love us to pray. It gets to verse 3 and verse 4. I think it's, just, it's standing at, at Isaiah 61. I just, I'd love to say more on this, but I'm just going to mention it in passing. It doesn't finish with the exchange in verse 3. It says that they may be called oaks of righteousness. Verse 4 says that they shall build up ancient ruins, that they shall raise up former desert devastations, that they shall repair ruined cities. Who are they? It's an interesting thought, isn't it? I've only recently really been gripped by this. Who are they? Who are these oaks of righteousness? Who are these ones who will build up the ancient ruins, and, 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 and bring the solutions to the devastation in society in the cities in which we live. 
But of course the answer is the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the mourners, the sorrowful, the weighed down. See, the gospel brings such transformation. What a turnaround that the very people who were once these people, and this is describing incidentally everybody in this room who's a Christian to one extent or another, we were all there. But it, is, it, just, it just grips me to think that in our churches, particularly those who've been there and can identify with what these people are doing. So if you've been in poverty and then the gospel has been good news to you and it's changed, you are the most qualified person to speak to those who are still in poverty. I think it's fascinating when you ask a question, who are they? Well, the very ones who were there. And in a broader sense for Christians, those of us who were dead and now are alive can bring good news to those around us who were spiritually dead. Brings transformation. I saw this quote from a guy called Alan Scott. The destiny of the poor is not the removal of poverty. It's to rebuild broken cities. They're so good, I wish I had come up with that. (laughs) It's so powerful. Just reflecting on Isaiah 61. Should we stand? Love us just to close our eyes for a moment. Holy Spirit has come to anoint you and me, King's Church, I want you to really believe this, even as we pray. There's an anointing upon you to bring good news to the poor. Every form of healing, deliverance, grace, justice, comfort, to bring life, to bring joy, to lift people from where they are. If you're a Christian here today, It would be rather foolish of me to now say, who would like to be anointed? (laughs) Because surely, if you've been around long enough, you know the Holy Spirit is not an option. I can't pray without the Spirit. I can't understand the Bible without the Spirit. I can't witness without the Spirit. I can't even worship without the Spirit. I can't relate to you. I can't love you without the Spirit. I can't have a marriage without the Spirit. I can't raise my kids without the Spirit. I couldn't be single without the Spirit. I'm not sure that I can even do what I'm called to do at work without the Spirit or uni without the Spirit. I certainly can't face the perplexities of life without the Spirit. And even God's calling upon us is dependent upon the anointing of the Spirit. We are totally dependent upon the person of the Spirit. Thank you, Lord, you've not left us as orphans, but you've come to us. And I pray even now for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon every person in this room for those of us who have walked with you and have known 
something of your spirit. Our cry is, we need more. We, we need a fresh anointing. Yesterday's anointing's gone. We need today's anointing. I pray that King's Church will be powerfully anointed to do Isaiah 61 in its entirety. I pray for people here who have known perhaps up until now very little of the things of the Spirit just kind of plodding along. May you today afresh know a, a, a fresh powerful touch of the Spirit in your life. Come Holy Spirit. Thank you Lord Jesus that you said it's far better for me to go away. We we, if we're honest, we'd rather have you right here see you physically. But we don't need that because your spirit has come and you called us to live in him. May we see that the anointing brings action and you will use very ordinary people like us to do extraordinary things in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah.